First part of chapter 7 of the first volume of The Life of Reason. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Fredrik Karlsson. The Life of Reason by George Santayana. Chapter 7. Concretions in Discourse and in Existence. Sidenote. So-called abstract qualities primary. Ideas of material objects ordinarily absorb the human mind and their prevalence has led to the rash supposition that ideas of all other kinds are posterior to physical ideas and drawn from the latter by a process of abstraction the table people said was a particular and single reality its color form and material were parts of its integral nature qualities which might be attended to separately perhaps but which actually existed only in the table itself color form and material were therefore abstract elements they might come before the mind separately and be contrasted objects of attention but they were incapable of existing in nature except together in the concrete reality called a particular thing moreover as the same color shape or substance might be found in various tables these abstract qualities were thought to be general qualities as well they were universal terms which might be predicated of many individual things a contrast could then be drawn between these qualities or ideas which the mind may envisage and the concrete reality existing beyond thus philosophy could reach the familiar maxim of aristotle that the particular alone exists in nature and the general alone in the mind Sidenote. general qualities prior to particular things such language expresses correctly enough a secondary conventional stage of conception but it ignores the primary fictions on which convention itself must rest individual physical objects must be discovered before abstractions can be made from their conceived nature the bird must be caught before it is plucked to discover a physical object is to pack in the same part of space and fuse in one complex body primary data like colored form and tangible surface intelligence observing these sensible qualities to evolve together and to be controlled at once by external forces or by one's own voluntary motions identifies them in their operation although they remain forever distinct in their sensible character a physical object is accordingly conceived by fusing or interlacing spatial qualities in a manner helpful to practical intelligence it is a far higher and remoter thing than the elements it is compacted of and that suggest it what habits of appearance and disappearance the latter may have the object reduces to permanent and calculable principles it is altogether erroneous therefore to view an object's sensible qualities as abstractions from it seeing they are its original and component elements nor can the sensible qualities be viewed as generic notions arising by comparison of several concrete objects 
seeing that these concretions would never have been made or thought to be permanent did they not express observed variations and recurrences in the sensible qualities immediately perceived and already recognized in their recurrence. These are themselves the true particulars. They are the first objects discriminated in attention and projected against the background of consciousness. The immediate continuum may be traversed and mapped by two different methods. The prior one, because it is so very primitive and rudimentary and so much a condition of all mental discourse, is usually ignored in psychology. The secondary method, by which external things are discovered, has received more attention. The latter consists in the fact that when several disparate sensations, having become recognizable in their repetitions, are observed to come and go together, or in fixed relation to some voluntary operation on the observer's part, they may be associated by contiguity and merged in one portion of perceived space. Those having, like sensations of touch and sight, an essentially spatial character may easily be superposed. The surface I see and that I touch may be identified by being presented together and being found to undergo simultaneous variations and to maintain common relations to other perceptions. Thus I may come to attribute to a single object the term of an intellectual synthesis and ideal intention, my experiences through all the senses within a certain field of association defined by its practical relations. That ideal object is thereby endowed with as many qualities and powers as I had associable sensations of which to make it up. This object is a concretion of my perceptions in space, so that the redness, hardness, sweetness, and roundness of the apple are all fused together in my practical regard and given one local habitation and one name. Side note. Universals are concretions in discourse. This kind of synthesis... This superposition and mixture of images into notions of physical objects is not, however, the only kind to which perceptions are subject. They fall together by virtue of their qualitative identity even before their spatial superposition. For in order to be known as repeatedly simultaneous and associable by contiguity, they must be associated by similarity and known as individually repeated. The various recurrences of a sensation must be recognized as recurrences and this implies the collection of sensations into classes of similars and the apperception of a common nature in several data. Now the more frequent a perception is, the harder it will be to discriminate in memory its past occurrences from one another, and yet the more readily will its present recurrence be recognized as familiar. The perception in sense will consequently be received as repetition not of any single earlier sensation, but of a familiar and generic experience. 
This experience, a spontaneous reconstruction based on all previous sensations of that kind, will be the only habitual idea with which recurring sensations will be henceforth identified. Such a living concretion of similars succeeding one another in time is the idea of a nature or quality, the universal falsely supposed to be an abstraction from physical objects, which in truth are conceived by putting together these very ideas in a spatial and permanent system. Here we have, if I am not mistaken, the origin of the two terms most prominent in human knowledge ideas and things. Two methods of conception divide our attention in common life. Science and philosophy develop both, although often with an unjustifiable bias in favor of one or the other. They are nothing but the old principles of Aristotelian psychology associated by similarity and association by contiguity. Only now, after logicians have exhausted their ingenuity in criticizing them and psychologists in applying them, we may go back of the traditional position and apply the ancient principles at a deeper stage of mental life. Side note. Similar reactions merged in one habit of reproduction yield an idea. Association by similarity is a fusion of impressions merging what is common in them, interchanging what is peculiar, and cancelling in the end what is incompatible, so that any excitement reaching that centre revives one generic reaction which yields the idea. These concrete generalities are actual feelings, the first term in mental discourse, the first distinguishable particulars in knowledge, and the first bearers of names. Intellectual dominion of the conscious stream begins with the act of recognizing these pervasive entities, which, having character and ideal permanence, can furnish common points of reference for different moments of discourse, Save for ideas, no perception could have significance, or acquire that indicative force which we call knowledge, for it would refer to nothing to which another perception might also have referred, and so long as perceptions have no common reference, so long as successive moments do not enrich by their contribution the same object of thought, evidently experience, in the pregnant sense of the word, is impossible. No fund of valid ideas, no wisdom, could in that case be acquired by living. Side note. Ideas are ideal. Ideas, although their material is of course sensuous, are not sensations nor perceptions nor objects of any possible immediate experience. They are creatures of intelligence, goals of thought, ideal terms which cogitation and action circle about. As the center of mass is a body, 
while it may by chance coincide with one or another of its atoms, is no atom itself, and no material constituent of the bulk that obeys its motion, so an idea, the centre of mass of a certain mental system, is no material fragment of that system, but an ideal term of reference and signification by allegiance to which the details of consciousness first become parts of a system and of a thought. An idea is an ideal. It represents a functional relation in the diffuse existences to which it gives a name and a rational value. An idea is an expression of life and shares with life that transitive and elusive nature which defies definition by mere enumeration of its materials. The peculiarity of life is that it lives, and thought also, when living, passes out of itself and directs itself on the ideal, on the eventual. It is an activity. Activity does not consist in velocity of change, but in constancy of purpose, in the conspiracy of many moments and many processes toward one ideal harmony and one concomitant ideal result. The most rudimentary apperception, recognition or expectation is already a case of representative cognition, of transitive thought resting in a permanent essence. Memory is an obvious case of the same thing, for the past, in its truth, is a system of experiences in relation, a system now non-existent and never as a system itself experienced, yet confronted in retrospect and made the ideal object and standard for all historical thinking. End of chapter 7, part 1